making an effort to go above and beyond and give back to the community, you kind of generate this goodwill, this bucket of goodwill that you've got to have today under control before you can talk about tomorrow. I had this epiphany and literally one night I was like, no one's looking after people in e-commerce. No one's looking after this talent pipeline to help businesses that's most important. Welcome to Add to Cart, Australia's leading e-commerce podcast that express delivers all you need to know in the fast-moving world of online retail. Every week, Nathan Bush from eSuite and an e-commerce industry expert will share the news, research and insights that you need to know to keep you at the top of your game. And of course, keep your customers adding to cart. Welcome to Add to Cart. My name is not Nathan Bush. It's Tom Hinser, a former Add to Cart guest and head of operations at Mr. Poolman. This pod's going to be a little left to field, and I've jumped in the hot seat to turn the tables and hand the mic over to Bushy. Firstly, we need to call out that Add to Cart is 100, and that's 100 episodes of, from absolute legends, inspiring founders, disruptors, and entrepreneurs all here in our backyard jumping on Add to Cart to tell us their epic stories. Now, Bushy, he's a digital god in himself, consecutively ranking in the top 50 people of e-commerce, which is no easy feat, and this bloke's done it four years in a row. Today, I'll take you down memory lane with Nathan, unpack where it all began with Super Retail Group and driving it home to co-founding and directing his own e-commerce talent agency, eSuite. As always with our Descartes, there'll be nuggets throughout the conversation of the high fives and the low blows, this time with Nathan's own spin on it. So thanks to our partners, Shopify Plus and Signet, Here's our conversation with the one and only Nathan Bush from Attica. Welcome to your own podcast, mate. How are you feeling about it? Oh, mate, I'm not oh, sure gosh. about handing the reins over to you. What has <laughs> happened to this podcast? Yeah. Mate, I've got to thank you for it. I just think it's such a good opportunity where, you know, you've put so much time and effort into, into all of like, like walks of life here in the digital landscape within Australia. And I think why not a better opportunity now to put you under the spotlight and Turn the tables and uh, let's let's hear about Nathan Bush and, and your story thus far. Well, it was funny. It was funny when we had our conversation and after it, you were like, I remember you phoning me up on the Wednesday or whatever afterwards and you're yeah. like, Bushy, idea for you. When you get to episode 100, and it was episode 20-something at the time, so it was really yeah, early yeah. days, I'm going to interview you because people need to know where you've come from and what you do. And I was like, oh, that's interesting, but 100's a long way off. Yeah. And here we are. <laughs> that's it. We've made it, mate. So congrats. Yeah. And I think that's a massive call out for, for Add to Cart. Like, and for you and your team at Add to Cart to be able to proudly say that you've interviewed 100 people within the digital landscape of Australia, I think it's unreal. And I'm sure all the listeners do too. And, you know, we've all sat back and gone, fuck, there's some, there's some really good takeaways that you've brought to the table. I'm sure that have that have helped other other business owners and entrepreneurs and founders and the like. So, uh, mate, congrats to you and and, and the Adicart Tech family. Yeah, thanks. But there's just like there's obviously a team that is behind this. I I've got it to a point where I'm able to turn up and just have good chats with good people, which is what I love, right? And then yeah. we've got Amy and Gil and the Expressway team behind it who are really driving it, and and they're the real people who make it work. But I just feel so lucky that there's so many people like yourself and other founders and leaders in e-com in Australia that actually just want to sit down for an hour and the amount that you guys share is crazy like i love it and for me it's just chats and i love e-commerce i love chatting so it works for me 
Yeah. And I think that's where you get the best is where, where people are like, yeah, coming onto a podcast like this and being vulnerable and, and talking mm. about those highs and the lows, which I'm sure we can touch on a few stories later on in the pod. But mate, let's, um, let's go back a step there. And where did, where did work start for yourself? Where did, where did Nathan Bush come into, come into his, his working life and, and, and where did it progress? Walk, walk us through that. I, I'll pick out, I'll pick out some of the parts of that story, I think, rather than t- tell it all. But I, I was lucky enough that when I went to school, I got a scholarship at Southern Cross University and I was 17 at the time. And I remember getting the call after sitting the HSC and them going, you can come to Southern Cross. And I was like, well, I don't even know what I want to do yet. And they were like, you can pretty much pick whatever you want to do and you can do it. And this isn't me being arrogant. This is just the situation. Um, And I didn't know what I want to do. And I was like, what do I do? And at the time, I had visions of being Jerry Maguire, like because I just love that movie, <laughs> and I am nothing like Jerry Maguire. But I was like, maybe if I do sports science mixed with law, that'll be that'll be my path. So mm-hmm. that was kind of where the the thinking was, yeah. but that didn't work out. I kind of sat in eighteen months of law school, <laughs> debating and reading a lot of law textbooks, and I was like, eh, nah, that's yeah, that's not going to happen. So I dropped out and. Um, Went and studied marketing at QUT, which was awesome. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And much to the dismay of, I think, my parents at the time, they were like, what the hell are you doing? Like, yeah. marketing, what even is that? Because, you know, teachers and nurses, you know, at least if you're a lawyer, they know exactly what yes. you are. Like, yep. if you're a teacher, you're a nurse, you're a lawyer. Yep. That kind yep. of all fits. Yep. I'm like, oh, I'm going to do marketing. And it's like, what job is it? I'm like, I don't even know yet. Like, I yep. couldn't tell you. So I did that. And then I was in advertising agencies for a while, leading strategy and, and stuff like that. Um, until I got to the point, probably in my late 30s, or early, sorry, late 20s, I'm aging myself, where <laughs> leading strategy in agencies across some good clients, but got to the point where agency life, I feel, has a shelf life on it. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Lots of fun, lots of parties, lots of great clients, interesting briefs, yep. but it burns you out pretty quickly. Yeah, right? yeah. And I said, I really want to be in control of something. Mm-hmm. And that's when I got the offer from Super Retail Group to come over and head up their digital and e-commerce across the group yeah. of um, Rebel Sport, BCF and Super Cheap Auto and a couple of other brands. And that was kind of my birth into retail, I suppose. I'd worked on retail yep. clients before in agencies, but I think working in agencies on clients is a lot different to being in the business. Mm -hmm. And I quickly learned that retailers are a special breed, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's it's a whole new mindset. Yeah, absolutely. And then so with Super Retail Group, and I guess just to give myself and and I guess the listeners some context there, so did you start at the bottom and work your way up or were you sort of kind of to come straight in at a team lead role and you had a a, a team above and around you? Yeah, I came straight into that team lead role. So Mm -hmm. my official title was group digital manager, Mm -hmm. but the role changed a lot in the time. So started in a marketing role, leading a team of developers, designers, mainly online teams. And then that changed. I was there for six years and moved more into a technology role, leading platforms and roadmaps and that kind of thing for the e-commerce team. So looking back, it was a blessing yep. in that kind of putting those two worlds of marketing and tech together. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's a, that's a really great skill. But there was a lot of change and there was always a little lot of jockeying for where do you fit in when you're trying to lead across such a big group? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think the hardest part along that journey was trying to get 
you know, five, six, seven brands into one direction the whole time. So even though they're all outdoor and lifestyle brands, trying to get five brands all thinking the same way and going, yes, we're all agreeing on that because everyone, and I'm not just saying this about SRG, but I think every retailer thinks they're a special snowflake (laughs) and have all, you know, hugely different requirements. But when you break it all down, retail is actually a fairly simple game. With some, you know, great one percenters on top Mm. of it. Mm. So we were trying to give the right foundations and then let the brands do their one percenters on top of that. And the brands did most of the hard work, to be honest. So I found the biggest challenge is in alignment. And, you know, when I started there, we were doing as a group about $4 million online. And by the time we finished, it was 140. Yeah, wow. And obviously, huge teams behind that. So Mm -hmm. I'm not taking credit for that at all. But the landscape of the business changes a lot when you start being a significant part of the business is online. Mm -hmm. So you start, you know, at the start was really about going, I think this is where we should move and this is where we've got to go and to to kind of get there. And people are like, yeah, that's nice. All right, cool. Keep going, keep going, keep going. And then all of a sudden it's like, ah, this is significant. And then the requests come the other way. It's like, no, we've really got to push this online. Let's do this. I'm like, so it was hard trying to manage that change in expectations mm-hmm. along the way. And and I think I spent, you know, by the end, more time in meeting rooms than I did with the team. And that's kind of when it, I think it becomes really draining. Some people will try and tell you that turning traditional plastic packaging tape into strong, eco-friendly paper tape is impossible. Well, not for our friends at Signet. In fact, It's a simple and cost-effective way to reduce your plastic usage and create a more sustainable packing offering, and it's available to everyone. Our partners at Signet have been helping leading retailers such as T2, Lush Cosmetics, and Mecca reduce their plastic usage and create a more sustainable supply chain with their range of eco-friendly packaging products. To get started today, visit signet.net.au and find out more. Obviously, you're, you're quite a creative person, as you know most people are on this podcast, and a bit of a go-getter. Were you confined with budgets and timelines and that kind of level from management? You know, trying to work within certain aspects that just didn't fit the bill. I wouldn't say confined. I mean, if you look at Super Retail Group, there's plenty of money there. Yeah, true. it's just how good you are at unlocking it. And yeah. I think if I had my time again, I would have played the game a little bit better. Like I was probably immature at the political game and I I don't think I'd still be good at it right now, if I'm honest. But there were times where I felt it was battling uphill. So, for example, we were, you know, when I got there, we were on a .NET custom-built platform and we knew that it was never going to last us, you know, the test of time. Like the first two Christmases I spent all Boxing Day on the phone trying to sort out outages and this kept happening. And it got to the point where we had to replatform, but we ended up replatforming onto Salesforce Commerce Cloud. But that took five years. But only 18 months of that was implementation. The first three and a half was business cases and two lots of RFPs because in a business like that, there is always competing priorities and that's Mm. the reality of it. So at one stage, my funding for that got pulled Mm. to be put into building a new warehouse, which the right call because there's no use us building this great platform if we've got nowhere to ship and store product. Absolutely. So it's just the realities of a big business that you've got to compromise and work within the beast rather than try and fight against it. 
Yeah, absolutely. No, totally agree. And then did you find that your skill set developed a lot working in in that role, which I guess led you to leave Super Retail Group, did it? Is, is, is that what was the driving factor with you, you now had this skill set, you had this experience and you thought that you could do something yourself? Absolutely. I think, you know, Super I owe so much to my time there and, you know, some of the people I worked with there were phenomenal, like the best retailers you will ever meet. Mm. And I learned so much there. And just seeing that kind of growth really sets you up to look at this not from just a digital perspective but from a retail end-to-end perspective because there was, like I said before, there was no point us driving, you know, acquiring all these customers, converting customers if we didn't have the customer service set up, if we didn't have the fulfillment, the logistics, the in-store, everything matching up to the experience. Mm. Unless we tried to pull all that together, not just worry about the pixels on a page, yeah. there was no point. So it really gave me a really well-rounded vision of what good retail experience looks like. Yeah. So during your time at Super Retail Group, Nath, at what point did you go, hmm, I kind of, I want to do this for myself or you found that you'll say not growing within that role anymore and that you could potentially leverage that skill set now outside of that and, and pretend, like do some sort of like strategy yourself. Where, where did that come about? I think there was never a question of whether I could grow more in the role. There was always more growth there and you can see some of the great stuff that they're doing right now. There's, there's, you know, huge opportunity there. I think it was a personal thing for me, honestly. If if I look back on it, I remember one day I got home and my wife just looked at me and Sarah and she was like, you just look grey. I'm <laughs> like, what are you talking about? And she's like, your face is grey. You just have lost the passion and the energy and the excitement. And she's like, it's, it's not just today. It's been been for the last few weeks when's enough's enough. And I think it was that combination of not being hands-on, not being creative, spending a lot of time in meeting rooms, you know, convincing heaps of people of a direction and trying to play that game rather than just getting in and doing things. And mm-hmm. even though that stuff's important, it's not where I get my energy from. Yeah, absolutely. So I think there was a really great lesson for me there is that you need to respond to your energy. Mm-hmm. And, and what excites you because it impacts everything, right? Because I had two young kids at the time. They would have been one and two. And so you come home and you've got nothing left for them. And that's just the worst feeling in the world because that's what you're doing it for, right? You, like, 100%. So that was a turning point for me to kind of have that conversation, to have someone else realize it in you, even though you were innately feeling it, to have someone else realize it was like a real, oh, wow, I've got to do something about this. And so... I kind of looked around and went, what do I do now? Um, I've done agency, I've done retail, and I wanted to stay in Brisbane. I love Brisbane, mm-hmm. great place. I want to bring my family up here. Yeah. And I looked around and I went, there's nowhere else that's really exciting me. I always talk about the Brisbane merry-go-round around Domino, Suncorp, Flight Centre, all great organisations. And if you want to stay at that corporate level of super mm-hmm. retail group, all great organisations, but I was feeling, you know, my energy was saying, I need to be somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. And looking at those lessons that I'd had from Super Retail Group about the end-to-end customer experience, not just looking at e-commerce from a website perspective, I was like, I bet there's a lot of businesses out there that could benefit from this end-to-end mm-hmm. view. Mm-hmm. And I tested it and, yeah, there was. It was, it was you know, I, I remember setting my sights on the first client. I was like, if I could have any client anywhere, 
like anywhere in this area, who would it be? Who would be the ideal client? And and I landed on stone and wood. I was like, if I ever got stone and wood, yeah, I'd be stoked. Like Absolutely. if I ever got to work with those guys. Yeah, yeah. And now, now you've done a podcast with them. Absolute legend. Yeah. Oh, awesome. And I remember um, Cam put me on to them. I got introduced. I kind of put it out into the world and, you know, this is who I'd love to work with. And I got an introduction and um, we just clicked straight away. Benny, the XMD of, of Stone Award, we just clicked and um, – Ended up working with them for 18 months along with other clients, but it was just so nice to go, yeah, these skills translate and I've lo- I've developed and mm. can make a difference to other businesses. Mm. And then I think that's like what you said where you start then feeling more fulfilled within the work that you're doing, like not only rewarded but in yourself. You've got the confidence. You're implementing this skill set that you've obviously practiced over time for so long mm. and not so much reaping the rewards but seeing the benefits of how you can give that skill set to somebody else or to a, to a business or an organisation, no matter what the, the commercial agreement may be, is just to be able to provide and, and execute and have that fulfilling moment where you're seeing your projects go live or you're seeing the, the, you know, the fruits of your hard work and being able to stand back and go, oh, you know, that, that, that was me. Absolutely. And, and I think there's something in my mission, I'll call it a mission, I don't know if it's really a mission, but yeah. it's I'm probably better at being outside of a business and helping amplify success rather than being in the business. I'm not mm-hmm. – I don't have the grind in me. I don't think that you need in retail. I don't know. You probably shed more light on it than me. But I like being those big creative ideas, setting the big roadmap, setting the strategy, how to get there yeah, yeah, and then yeah, moving yeah. quickly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I can relate to that. I think there was a transition for, for myself and Matt within Mr. Pullman where a few years ago we, we stopped working in the business and we worked on the business. It was actually the boys from um, Oz Hair and Beauty as well that said the same thing to me when I was I jumped on a call with them and just had a chat about business and obviously growth and whatnot. And I remember it clearly and they were like, oh, you know, are you still working in the business? I said, yeah, I am, unfortunately. Obviously, you know, you wear all hats when you, when you, when you are that startup phase and um, trying to cover all bases. And, and they, were like, they were like, wait till you get into the role where you're working on the business and you've got a, you know, a team around you for whatever that channel may be, whether it be customer support, operations, that kind of stuff. And it is only of late where Natalie and I now have a, a, an extended team both in-house and remotely that is just able to pull those levers. And, and same thing, like it's just, it's completely different when you're setting strategies uh, and game plans rather than picking packing orders as rewarding as that still is you know and time to time i do go down to the warehouse yeah. floor and and help the team out and and that too is also rewarding in itself mm. you still get a little bit of everything but i totally get where you're coming from from that high level strategy and building that out for then people to execute and again providing assistance where you can within that business or within that role based on your experiences from the ground up so and, and don't get me wrong, there's nothing better than nerding out in, you know, getting deep into GA or overhearing yeah. customer calls or being yeah. in the warehouse with the team to understand really what's going on because you can't set strategy without being on the ground or in the tools. Yes. If you don't know what's going on, then you can't just be this, oh, I just sit here and I set strategy and I move, you know, pins around a board because PowerPoint won't solve anything in retail. Absolutely. You've actually got to get shit done yeah absolutely mate. absolutely absolutely yeah. how would you find that the transition from super retail group to your own startup 12 high uh we'll, we'll call it a startup because it, it was yeah it was yeah. Uh, how did you find that transition from going working in a corporate world to standing your own two feet and from memory was there any sort of key challenges that you faced that you look back on now and think shit how did i do that 
Um, I think it was like it was so refreshing. It was like scary as hell because uh, mm-hmm. I'd never run a business, right? Like I said before, mum's a nurse, dad's a teacher. We come from a very much a paycheck family, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. But there was no one really that I've gone, oh, this is how you run a business. Like I was, even yeah. though I did a business degree, they don't teach you how to do zero. They don't teach no. you how to, you know, invoice contracts, all that sort of stuff. I was like, geez, I don't even know where to start. But I, luckily I had a good good network of people around me to, to kind of call upon. But then once you get over that, I think it's just from a consulting perspective, how do you manage doing good work and also find new business? So that's the hard balance. And early on, my strategy was just do good work and the business will follow mm-hmm. rather than trying to do two separate streams of work. Mm-hmm. Because it can be so distracting when you're working for a client and then also chasing the next client. So I was just like, no, just do good work and then that will speak for itself. And that seemed to work really well. And I think we we here at Mr. Poorman have like worked with consultants as well, obviously Mm -hmm. quite extensively across the various channels. And so like feedback that we've had and seen with them as well is that it's hard to continuously bring that same amount of energy to get to, to every client that you may be working with and especially when every business can be so different that one customer or client may be like on the ball things are working and it's great and then you go to the next one uh, and it's kind of like mission critical the ducks aren't aligned you guys aren't seeing eye to eye and trying to have that switch between like if you've got consecutive clients in a day or you know in a week Mm. it can become quite draining is the feedback i've had from you know consultants working with us I guess, you know, Nat and I have always brought a lot of energy to the table. So I think they've always had, you know, interest yeah. in working with us. Uh, but I can see how other businesses or people in roles within businesses that they may not own that business or that company and they're just there doing their nine to five, it would be hard working with that with that person because they, they are only there for, you know, maybe their paycheck and you're trying to bring that strategy to the table yeah. and just getting nothing back from them. You're kind of like, oh, what do I do? And you have to win. You have to win some people over, right? Some people just hate consultants because either one, they've had bad experiences with them before, which is totally understandable, or they feel threatened that the consultants are here to make them look bad and mm. to do their job. Like mm. I remember one senior manager. I wasn't a consultant at the time, but one of my bosses that I worked with one time, we had a consultant in, and we were doing the introductions, right? And these these aren't small consultants. These are you know. We're talking big four big consultants yeah. and came in into the office, took him into the office of this person and the first thing this person said to this consultant was, do you want my watch? And the consultant was like, uh, no, no, I don't, no. Why Why would you say that? He's like, oh, oh, I thought you just want to take my watch so you could tell me what time it is. What? <laughs> and so that was their view, right? And yeah, that's yeah. just one individual, but it was just like, oh, you're going to just come in, pillar me for information and then relay it back in a, another way that doesn't yeah. actually add devalue. Yeah, right. They, they definitely got burned. No, and you, and you get those kind of personalities and that's the beauty of being an independent consultant mm-hmm. is that you can pick and choose the people that you match the energy of and that you get along with and you feel like you can create value together. Mm. Because at the same time, I can come up with ideas and I can share where I think the road to gold is, Mm. but I'm not going to be the one in there every day. So if I don't have people who believe in that with me and we can develop it together, Mm. then no matter how good that strategy is, it's not going to lead to results. 
Yeah, and I, and I agree with that. And I think that's something that, again, Natalie and I can re- refer to is that ourselves have been guilty of it, and I'm sure many businesses too uh, are as well, is that people have the misconception that they're going to get a consultant and they're going to come in and just be the silver bullet, whether that mm. be an accountant or a data analyst or, um, you know, an operations or a supply chain manager or something like that, where, you you know, A, you're paying this person probably a lot of money and B, you're expecting the world of them, but mm. they as well do not know every moving part of your business and nor should they really like at the end of the day they're there to consult to you not to execute and be in the trenches and that kind of stuff so i think that's also something where we at mr poolman have also in the past assumed or expected too much from an from a consultant and they technically have delivered but to us they underperformed yeah and we were kind of left going well and then you start justifying the costs and, yeah. and all of that and it starts getting really grey and really fluffy and you kind of start then not so much questioning yourself but you're like, whoa, like that was six or 12 months of that contract with that, with that you know, and you kind of think, was it beneficial? And it just, it can go very south oh, very quickly. Absolutely, absolutely. It's unless there's synergies there, it can get really off track really quickly. Mm-hmm. And that's where... I came in really early and one of my first, and this was a lesson for me in consulting, was to try and productize things. And I had it, that advice from a good mate of mine, Anthony Deva, really early on. He was like, if you can, productize things. But I, I really struggled to do that in the early stages because everyone wanted something a little bit different. Mm. And then as soon as I landed on a 90-day e-commerce strategy, that seemed to hit the spot and where I was like, we're not going to sit here and do a five-year plan for your business because who mm. knows where the hell will be in a year, let alone five years? Yep. What if I just come in and help you on the next 90 days? And that seemed to hit the spot. So as soon as I was able to productize that product, mm. we're away. But I think where I fell down, not fell down, but where it kind of capped out was that I never created it to be a consultancy where I wanted to hire heaps and heaps of people and turn it into an agency. It was like mm-hmm. it was almost like that stepping stone into something else that was coming. I didn't know what would, what else was coming, but it was the stepping stone into something else yeah, yeah. that was allowing me a really good lifestyle, mm-hmm. helping a lot of people. It was just yourself? It was just myself. Yeah, but then I okay. partnered up with a lot of other consultants and agencies to deliver yeah. in there. So trusted people that I trusted, I'd bring in and go, I've worked with these guys before. They'll do a good job with what you're after. So people had had me on a hook basically. So if they had agencies or other people that I brought in that didn't perform, I'd absolutely have to try and, you know, make that work. Mm -hmm. So that model really worked, but I never really wanted to take it to the next level. Yeah. Okay. 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 I guess just to grab you there and like, let's just, let's just pause on that thought for a moment. If you've got, obviously you've got a a very wide audience that listens to add to card. If you've got say some listeners at the moment, which may be in a agency role that are absolute ninjas in their field, what would be, say, a word of advice that you'd give them if they're if they're contemplating taking that role to become a consultant or a strategist in their own respectful space? I know it's quite a broad question, mm. but you know, if somebody said to you, "Hey, Nathan, want to do consulting?" What would be your your, your basic recommendations to to make that step? Like looking back on your experience, what, what what could you provide there? I'd probably say that you need to start giving early on, right? Mm. So don't wait to go. Don't just sit there in your job at the moment and go, this is good, I'm getting a paycheck and when I need to consult, I'll go out and find business. It's like from the early stages of my career, back when I was in agencies, I'd always try and share 
what I could, whether that be in social forums like LinkedIn or Twitter or speaking at conferences or whatever that, there was usually absolutely nothing in it financially for me at the time because I was happy in my job. It was just a chance to meet new people and to be part of a community. And I did a lot of that, even at Super Retail Group, did a lot, even though it had to be more kind of corporatized, I suppose. There's being a publicly listed company, there's only so much you can share. Yeah. But just by continuing that and making an effort to go above and beyond and give back to the community, you kind of generate this goodwill, this bucket of goodwill, and people know what you're about. And then so when it came time for me to be a consultant, I actually didn't have to do any business development. People already knew what I stood for, kind of the value that I could offer through my time there and were ready to go. So that would be my advice is like yeah. start early, just yeah. start yeah. giving. You never know where it'll lead. Yeah, absolutely. And play that long game, I guess, like you said, is, is provide that value initially for really no monetary value and prove your worth. Yeah. And then if obviously if, if it is worthwhile to that customer and they're worthwhile, then you, you're going you're gonna to make that money back down the track. That's it. And, and like it's not even about the money most of the time. Nah. Like some of my best friends I've met through the industry and it's just because you're open and you're honest in yourself and you're available mm. and you just meet some of the best people. Yeah. So that's just that's been the biggest payback for me yeah. is just this network of trusted people that I feel like I've got around me now that yeah. I can always call upon. People like yourself, yeah. you know, in whether it's in retail, whether it's in advertising, whether it's in tech, mm. you just have this feeling of support and community mm. just by giving. Yeah, and I, and I totally agree with that. I think especially here, you know, I always refer, refer it to on LinkedIn as our, as our digital family. Yeah. And I feel like the, the digital community here in Australia, like you said, whether it's logistics, marketing, operations, all of that kind of aspect, I feel that the community here in Australia is pretty tight. You know, you can, you can always reach out to somebody on LinkedIn, connect with them, shoot them a message as I have done so. And I know there's a lot of people out there on LinkedIn have got a message off me. So, and I think that's just what's so cool. And I guess that's what I'm about. That's what I value. You know, if someone shot me a message, whatever it may be, I'd always give them the time to at least reply or, you know, if I can't help them, maybe connect them with somebody that can mm. and just do that because I guess that's where I've received so much value again, yeah, from people like yourself, other merchants of our size, if not greater, that have always been willing to just even just reply, you know, maybe they might, might not be able to give you what you need, but for them to at least acknowledge you, I think is, yeah. is unreal and that's just common courtesy really because you know, no one really knows what they're doing. Everyone's just out there having the best crack at every day. Oh, that's so. To be honest, that's why I started Add to Cart, right? Because I got a great contract uh, was with Michael Hill, three days a week, started as a month contract, ended up being 18 months-ish, which was fantastic. Great organization to work with and did some really cool projects. But my worry at the time was that it's going to, by putting myself into a business three days a week, it was going to take me away from that community and seeing all different clients and different types of businesses and making those connections. And that's why I started Add to Cart so we could stay connected with people and share stories and all that sort of stuff. And it's been the best thing for that. Like the amount of people, like just privileged to meet through Add to Cart. It's been phenomenal. Yeah. Oh, and, and where I was going, sorry, is that the one theme that keeps coming through on Add to Cart is most founders at the start didn't know what they were doing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and just jumped in, had a great idea, had an opportunity and just went, didn't research it too much and just went, we'll figure it out. Mm. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think I and Nat have done everything we could in the business back to front. I don't think we've done, I don't think we've done anything in a normal methodical way. It's all been back to front. Um, so yeah, Kevin definitely relate to that. Amen with, with add to cart. It's definitely what I think the podcast has brought to the Australian digital community is, is that connection and that level of understanding that, you know, you see these big brands and then they jump on at Descartes and you're like, oh, shit, like they're going through that same thing as well. Yeah. And that's definitely something that's for me has sparked conversations with various people in the Australian, you know, digital ecosystem. I'm like, oh, I didn't actually know that they were going through that. I'm going to ping them a message. And sure enough, we've teed up a call or had a coffee or a beer or whatever it may be. And it's just like open up a whole new aspect of, of learning basically. And it's really cost that person, you know, five or 10 minutes of their time. Yeah. And it's been invaluable to, to myself and, and again, my business as well. So yeah. Yeah, I think that's great. Australian brand Rolly Nation makes footwear that is lightweight and the favourites of suitcase stuffers around the globe. So when Rolly Nation wanted to put a greater focus on direct-to-consumer, they migrated to Shopify Plus. With integrations into Gorgeous for customer service, Smile for loyalty, Clavio for direct marketing, and Okendo for customer reviews, Rolly Nation were able to deliver a site that was as lightweight as their shoes. They immediately achieved a 62% improvement in page speed, which contributed to a 3.5% increase in conversion. As Limp Biscuit would say, they're now rolling, rolling, rolling. To read more of Rolly Nation's story and to see other case studies, visit the customer sections on shopify.com.au forward slash plus. It's not about the size of the business either. It's about the, the personalities behind it. Is that sometimes you find some of the smallest businesses are the most closed off and some of the bigger businesses are the most open. Mm. So you never know. Like I, I would never be intimidated around speaking or reaching out to founders of bigger businesses because sometimes they're the most giving people and that's how they became big yeah. by continually giving and then getting those returns and that network effect. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Absolutely. So how long how long did you spend um, at 12 High doing, doing your consultancy? I, it would have been about three years, three years. So I left Super Retail Group and did that for three years. And then you moved into where you are now, which is an e-commerce talent agency, eSuite. Mate, dive into that for us. Unpack that and, and tell us all about it. <laughs> so it was a bit of a left-hand turn. So it was the it was the light that was the end of 12 High that I didn't know was coming, right? Yeah. So during COVID, obviously consulting to a bunch of e-commerce retailers and some were scrambling to catch up, right? Because we, you know, we've had this whole five years growth in one year. We've all heard that. And we'd get a lot of requests for, hey, can you, we just need to move platforms. We need to get to Shopify Plus yeah. or, hey, we need to double our ad spend. Whatever it was, it was like there was lots of catching up being done. And the story that it kept coming back to is like, we can do this. Like, this is all fine. It's all achievable. But if we do it, and if your sales triple, who's going to look after it? Because mm. I'm a consultant. I'll come in and help you get the direction, yep. but I'm not running this ship for yep. you. Yep. Who's, where's your team? Where's your expertise? Where's your skills? And a lot of them would turn around and go, well, we don't have that part sorted out yet. We'll get the technology first or the marketing first, which obviously then if it can't be supported, leads to a horrible customer experience and it's really short-lived and you won't get long-term ROI. Yeah. <laughs> so, Absolutely, uh, and, and just to grab you on that point, Nate, I think I, like I've experienced firsthand. 
asked you point blank about staffing and e-commerce roles within our business and Mr. Pullman. And you just said, mate, that's a shortage. There's an absolute yeah. shortage. So, and, and what are you seeing at the, at the moment across the, the digital landscape? What kind of roles are in demand and, and what, what bums in seats are you trying to fill? So we fill, we created eSuite to help people fill the gaps in their business. So our motto is around connecting fast-growing retailers with the best e-commerce talent. All we do is e-commerce talent, but it's every role from, at the moment, we've got a, a fashion director through to e-commerce managers to UX specialists to warehouse managers to product specialists. So anything in the e-commerce sphere is yeah. where we play. The ones that we're seeing the hottest demand in at the moment is, I would say too, is paid performance. If you're in paid performance, you're in hot demand and development. Yeah. The development one's an interesting one. I'm not sure how long development will stay in high demand as we see more platforms become more off the shelf. Mm -hmm. There's obviously always going to be a market for custom Mm -hmm. development and custom Mm -hmm. platforms. But we're seeing especially those small to medium businesses have less reliance on developers than they would in the past. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And shout out to Shopify with sections everywhere. It'd be, be great to finally get that live and, and working. So, Did that excite all. you? Unite, Unite 2, did that excite? It did, mate. It did. It's just I guess there's aspects and elements of Shopify that like they tell you these product releases, which is unreal. Everyone gets excited and it's like, oh, shit, hold on. Like when's that going live? Or um, <laughs> You know, you might have a development roadmap like, like like what we do, three, six months built out down the track and then Shopify throws something like this and it's like, what? We need to change it all to JSON? Like, <laughs> oh. and it's just another whole realm. But, mate, we won't go into it. We won't go into that now. Um, I want to circle back. So shout out to Emily, your co-founder at yep. eSuite. Now, did you guys work together prior to eSuite or how did that come about? No, we didn't. She tried to poach me a couple of times from <laughs> Super Retail Group and we always got along. So I'd always, you know, we'd always hang out, have chats and stuff, but never actually took her, never helped her with any of her commissions. So she was, she's been, um, you know, a recruiter in the digital uh, marketing and tech space for about 15 years now. And, and always for me, M was always kind of the shining light of recruitment, ethical, mm-hmm. hardworking, always in the interests of both parties. And so I always had so much time for him and we came, became really great friends and I think in a way became my career counsellor, yeah. which didn't help her with any of her da- targets or budgets um, <laughs> and probably cost her more in coffee. But when it came time, I, I still remember a conversation right at the end of Super Retail Group when I sat down I was like, well, I've got to do something i've got to find and she you know i talked about energy before she's next level like she's crystals on the desk mushroom tea absolutely i I take the piss out of her all the time about this it's it's great (laughs) so we're kind of polar opposites when it comes to this but we're really what we found is we're really united in values Mm -hmm. but the way we operate is fairly different Mm -hmm. and i remember sitting down with her she's like bushy i've got this just this feeling that you're going to end up running an agency and I was like, nah, I am. That's not going to happen. I was like, I, I, like, I've managed teams for this long. I can't imagine employing people. So then I started 12 high and I was by myself for three years. I was like, MC, it didn't come true. And then I had this epiphany and literally one night I was like, no one's looking after people in e-commerce. No one's looking after this talent pipeline to help mm-hmm. businesses. That's most important. And I literally sat down one night and wrote a business plan for eSuite. 
And I knew nothing about recruitment. I knew nothing about the recruitment model, but I knew there was something there. And I called them up and I said, can we go to lunch? I've got something to show you. And I took it to her and I didn't actually say I want to go into partnership with her, but I said to Em, I've got this idea. Here's the plan. Here's what I think it could be. And she looked at me and she was like, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> and then she calls me up about a week later. And I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting feedback. Um, <laughs> and she <laughs> calls me up about a week later. She goes, Bushy, what do you want from me here? And I'm like, I don't know. I just want to see if it's a good idea and, you know, is there any interest? And she's like, I think it's a cracking idea. But you know nothing about recruitment. The business model you wrote <laughs> is totally wrong. You know nothing about recruitment. Yeah. But the idea is absolutely right. So she's like, Damn. if we re- if we reshape this, mm-hmm. I'm in. Yeah. And I'm like, cool, I never asked you to be in, but I'm glad yeah. you're in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, then from there, we, we hit the ground running like really quickly and we launched in October last year. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's, you know, the thing that really excites me, um, 12 highs on the back burner and and we won't continue down that path and E-Suite yeah. is, you know, where we really want to focus in around people in e-commerce. Yeah, nice. And then how do you find, I guess, question for, for me here is obviously, firstly, your growth at E-Suite. How have you guys found that in the last six to eight months since you've started? Uh, and are you, what are the challenges that you can, I guess, face in E-Suite compared to 12 High, like obviously 12 High was your first one. Now this is your second one. What are the differences in the challenges that you face between the two and you know, how has that worked with, with the growth that you've had? I think the difference is a totally different business model, right, is that E-Suite is people-focused, which if you're setting out a strategy, you're in total control of that strategy to a certain point, right? COVID obviously throws things up and you get curveballs here and there, but you can set a plan and you can pretty much stick to it or change it as needed. People are a bit more unpredictable, which is kind of great and it kind of makes it fun. But you can never be certain where you're going in recruitment because you've got to respond to what's out there. So for me, actually, one of the things that's been good for me is that we've split it so that M heads up the recruitment division and I head up the consulting and the training. So we're a talent agency, not a recruitment agency. Yeah. So we realize that we can't just shift bums around on seats because Australian e-commerce is small. Yeah. We've got closed borders. Yeah. There's a skills shortage. If we just keep moving people around organizations, that's going to get real old real quick, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we've yeah. got to play a role in breeding the pipeline and mm-hmm. helping people find their opportunities and advancing to different levels and skill sets. So M leads the recruitment. I lead the consulting. So I help a lot of, um, I do some coaching with executives and founders to kind of find through org structures and leadership teams and all that sort of stuff. But we're also developing some really cool training programs at the moment to help graduates find their way into e-commerce businesses. So hoping to launch that in November. Um, more details to come on that. So we want to be a well-rounded talent agency. But where I was going with that was about a month ago, M got sick. And she was really sick. She, you know, she was out of action for a week and we had jobs running and she was like, Bushy, you're going to have to become a recruiter for a little while. And I was like, Oh, really? Like I have to get my hands down. I have to actually do the recruitment. And it was fascinating. And, and it took me probably, you know, there was 24 hours there where I was like, I don't, you know, I don't feel comfortable doing this. It was exactly what we're talking about before. It's like throwing yourself into something. We're talking about this at the start of the podcast, throwing yourself into something. And then I was like, actually, no, take this as a challenge. Like you've never, ever completed a recruitment job. 
that's a great opportunity to learn. And it was fascinating to be able to throw myself in there and I learned so much and was actually able to place, you know, place a, a role or two, which had this great sense of achievement just by being uncomfortable and finding a way mm-hmm. through. So it's pushing me. And again, because there's no one doing this in Australia. Not, not to this specialty level. To this specialty level, just yeah. to, to e-commerce. It's really exciting because we get to tread our own path into where it is and what it turns into. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And you guys, you guys are based based in Brizzy. Yep. Yeah. Plans on staying there, or you're gonna you're gonna open up somewhere in Sydney or Melbourne, or you're able to work fully remote. Yeah. So we have jobs all over the country. You've got Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Byron, all sorts of jobs everywhere. So national national listings. We've actually um, hired Yulia, and Yulia's joined the team. She's in Melbourne um, and heading up our Melbourne office, which has been fantastic to have her come on board. Um, she came on board about two months ago, but we still haven't been able to meet her in person because of COVID. Every time we've booked about flights about four times. And every time we've had a lockdown. So, you know, we're still, t- we, we talk every day and, you know, she's phenomenal. So it's been great to have someone on the ground in Melbourne yep. um, to do that. And plans are to, to yeah, kind yeah, of. Yeah. And we've got, the same, we've, we've got the same issues even at, at Mr. Pullman. Like we just, uh, we hired a head of customer, su- uh, head of customer support. He's based in Brizzy. Um, shout out yeah. to Luke. Great, great asset to the team. But Nat as well. A lot of, a lot of my team is obviously boots on the ground in the warehouse. Um, so where we're located on the central coast, but a lot of Natalie's teams remote, um, and located, yeah, Brisbane, Melbourne. We've got a few offshore guys as well. So yeah, can definitely relate to the whole extended team trying to logistically meet and greet and, and build those teams remotely is also a challenge in itself. Absolutely. And, and what we're seeing at eSuite is that there is a transition to back, well, before these latest lockdowns, but back to, requiring only workers that are local or team members that are local. So it was like, we're hiring, we're in Sydney, we need people in Sydney. We don't need them in the office every day, but we kind of need them at least three. We need them local so they can be in the office when needed. Whereas we thought when COVID hit that there'd be this influx of remote working and I don't think it's become the case. But when you're forced into remote working, you realise that there's new ways to build repertoire and relationships that are just as deep and just as effective as in person, if you put the right structures around it, absolutely, absolutely, and communicating. I think so many people yep. like you know. I was listening to a, a, a Tom Bilu podcast the other day, and one of his guests that he has on there talks about how we've never had more tools to communicate, but so many people struggle with listening to understand rather than listening. Like most people listen to respond, and yep. that's great in a debate or a strategy. And you need to have like rapid fire, you know, responses. But in this day and age, so many people struggle to listen to understand and I get that's something in myself that I'm trying to work on as I manage a, a team um, and Natalie yep. manages a remote team as well so whether we're implementing that that own lesson within our workspace or our warehouse at Mr. Poolman or Natalie's implementing that with her digital team via Zoom and whatnot we as business leaders are too trying to understand and communicate at a better level while we manage, you know, work from home and remote teams. I think you've, you've got to have that in a business. If you can't communicate, well, it doesn't matter what platform you're using, Trello or Jira or Confluence or whatever it is to, to implement your work strategies, if you can't just simply have a conversation, a constructive conversation that also welcomes criticism, you've got yeah. to be able to take criticism and implement that and, and pivot on that. That's when you're going to start seeing the best results with 
any sort of teamwork. Absolutely. And you've got to take the little cues, right? So it goes both ways is that if you're starting, if you're using Jira, if you're using Slack or whatever, a message can come across as aggressive or, mm-hmm. you know, just, you know, out of sorts and you can get offended or you can clar- clarify it quickly because it often means nothing. But at the same time, the tricky part of remote is you don't see those little cues around the office. You know, what was the mood like when this person walked in? Are they putting headphones on at their desk because they're feeling a little bit, you know, overwhelmed? You're not getting all those little cues. So you've got to, exactly like you said, when you're on with them remotely, really be on and really mm-hmm. trying to pick up those little cues that you would get elsewhere. So it takes a little bit more work, mm-hmm. but it's all doable. Yeah, I agree. And yeah, and coming unstuck with communication is obviously one of the biggest biggest pain points, I guess, for any business, whether that be with suppliers, customers, staff, um, is okay, that communication. And I think that kind of dovetails into, into what I want to cover off with you, mate, is I've always picked up a lot of nuggets out of your at Descartes with mistakes people have made and being vulnerable uh, and all of that. So I think I'd like to ask you um, in in your experience and looking back across, you know, your working career now, you know, add to cart, e-suite and even, you know, 12 high, super retail group, looking back, you, what were some key mistakes I guess you've made either, you know, within your role or within yourself that you've gone, shit, you know, could have done that better or should have done that better, you know, that, that burnt you in the past. Oh, do we have another hour? Oh, I don't get that. <laughs> uh, look, I think there's a few there. Like if you want to go at a real practical level, really practical, like sometimes I just didn't know my numbers. And I think, you know, as someone who's creative, strategy, thinking, you know, 12 months ahead, if you leave today behind, if you don't know your main numbers, then you'll get caught out real quick. And And just especially when you're playing big games, if you get put on the spot and you and you can't talk to what's happening today operationally, you can't get the trust and the buy-in for the long-term vision. So you've got to have today under control before you can talk about tomorrow. Absolutely. And I think the numbers game is such a hard one as well because I guess when it clicks, you're like, oh, shit, how did I get that so wrong? But when you're wearing so many different hats, yourself as a founder, myself as a founder, Sometimes knowing your numbers and knowing your metrics is actually quite hard to understand. You know, we've we've had a lot of help from Jason Andrews. Shout out to Jason. I know yep. he's been on the podcast before and he gives great, guy. great content around operational finance is what he calls it. And that's a word that I'm probably going to get tattooed on me somewhere one day. <laughs> Whereabouts? <laughs> oh, on my forehead, I think, just, just, so, <laughs> just so it sinks in. Um, yeah, one takeaway I would really heavily recommend. And, you know, if you're sitting there now going, hmm, I don't really know what my profit margin is or – that's you. You need to. You need yeah. to understand that. And however long it takes, just crack on with it. But I'd also say too, it's not also the founder's job to do. I mm. think work out what you're responsible for and know what numbers are important. You don't need to know every number. No. You need to know, say, three to five key numbers that you can always keep your, your finger on. Mm-hmm. Whether you're in marketing, whether you're in tech, whether you're in, you know, leading an organisation. Mm-hmm. But if you can't speak to numbers then you're going to get caught out and you're going to lose trust Yeah, and not to be able to do the cool shit that you want to do. Now, mate, fast forward. Let's, we've covered all the history of Nathan Bush. <laughs> mate, fast forward. So you've got, you've got eSuite at hand at the moment. Yep. You've got an office in Melbourne. Um, yep. You've got a small team around you. Yep. It sounds like it's going great and you're loving it. What does the next three years look like for yourself? Goodness me. As a strategist, I'm horrible at planning what my next three years are. 
Uh, so, look, the focus is 100% E-Suite and Add to Cart. So they're my two focuses. So I think both have so much amazing opportunity. With E-Suite, obviously, we want to continue the recruitment. It's so important to have the right people in the right roles. But we also want to play a huge role in helping bring talent into the industry and showing people how they can keep um, moving through the industry. So that's a real focus for me. And um, yeah, like I said, we've got something really exciting dropping in November, which we'll probably announce around September, which we're super pumped about. So that's, that's you know, there's more than enough there to keep us going. And for Add to Cart, I just want to grow this community more. To me, the podcast is one thing, but it's just a small part of what this can be. Like to, it's, it's about, we've got all these listeners out there and the growth over the last 12 months has been phenomenal. It's, it's just been so good to see, get traction because podcasts are a funny beast in that when you start it, you're going, oh, 20 listens a day. That's not much, yeah. especially when you're coming from an e-commerce background where you're looking at, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of visitors and, you know, yeah, big yeah. numbers. Yeah. You get to podcast, yeah. you go, oh, and it takes a long time to build up because all you're trying to do is get people to hit that subscribe button and almost develop a relationship with them. But a podcast by itself is a one-sided relationship. You know, we get to record this, but then how do we actually do the follow-up? How do we make a bit of a conversation out of this? So that's a real focus for me is how do we build these communities both virtually and potentially in real life once we can. So Yeah, agreed, agreed. And then who would be your, just, just circling back to add to cart there, who would be your three top dogs that you'd want to have on here that you haven't had yet? I don't. I don't necessarily have people. Like I said, some of the best conversations happen with people that I would never expect it and some of the worst ones have been with people that I was really nervous about meeting. Yeah. So I don't do that but what I am really interested in is speaking to more diverse background people like as a white, hopefully I don't think I'm middle-aged yet but I'm probably getting there, white middle-aged male. I've got a network that's probably very similar you know, that's just naturally where you fall. And I really want to bring more diverse people onto the show. Like for me, I make a real effort to try and reach out to, you know, female founders, female leaders. Um, I'd love to get more Indigenous e-commerce leaders. Like there's all these stories out there and that I really want to help bring to life. So to me, Add to Cart's just about showing all the different ways that we can do e-commerce and all the there's not one playbook, right? Yeah. And just being able to help people get inspiration and action from all different sources, pick and choose what you like out of it. You're not going to agree with everything. Not everything's going to be for you. But, hey, there's more than one way to do this. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Agree, agree totally. And, again, you know, congrats on, on delivering such good content to, to the listeners. And, and on that, Nathan, how's the, what's the best way for, for people to get in, in, in contact with you or to connect with you, with, whether it's via um, or whether it's for Add to Cart or if it's for eSuite, if they've got some employment or some talent, what's the best way to connect with yourself? Yeah, great. Um, so for both, eSuite, um, we're always looking for, if you're in the market for a new job, absolutely reach out to us. If you're looking for help building your team, whether that be actually people in there or you just need an opinion on how to go about that, contact me uh, via LinkedIn or, or Nathan at eSuiteTalent.com.au. And for Add to Cart, 
we're always looking for new guests. So if you've got a great story to tell, if you want to come on and have a chat, reach out. Don't be shy. I find a lot of people are really shy about approaching me. And then when I approach them, they're going, oh, I was hoping you'd ask me. I'm like, just give me a note. You know, I always love hearing from people. And then also, if you are interested in partnering on Add to Cart, let me know. We're always looking for new partners. We're loving having Shopify and Signet with us for so long, but we've got other opportunities like the explainer episodes. So, and then if you're a listener, I always love hearing from listeners around episodes they liked, episodes they didn't like. I, like I said, I don't want this to be a one way conversation. So don't hesitate. LinkedIn's probably the best way. But otherwise, Nathan at esweettalent.com.au. Yeah, beautiful. Nice, mate. And I guess for anyone listening that, yeah, like wanted to pick my brain a little bit further about the yeah. stuff I've touched on as well, LinkedIn's always the best way. Add me on LinkedIn um, or otherwise if you need to shoot me an email, tom at mrpoolman.com.au. And just just like Bushy here, I'll, I would be more than happy to share any sort of nuggets that I can with anyone else that's, you know, facing challenges or even just the ear to listen to. Um, you know, if anyone's got any questions, challenges that they face, like hit, hit, hit me up, hit Bushy up. I'd uh, love to have a chat. And I can't recommend it. You'll get the uh, the no BS version of Tom uh, yeah. if you go direct. I love it. <laughs> well, I've kept I've kept this pod pretty sensitive. Uh, <laughs> it's been awesome, mate. Congratulations yeah. on uh, the the hosting role. I think you know you can have a re- regular gig if you want. Yeah. Oh, mate. Now I'll, I'll hand it back over to you for the, for the next <laughs> episode. But mate, thank you very much, Bushy, for for having me on and as always providing so much value and content to, to the listeners. So, mate, thank you very much. Thanks, Tom. It's been fun. After Nat and I did our pod with Bushy on Mr. Poolman, I got off the call thinking, shit, what about Bushy? What's his story? This is the reason why I wanted to put a spin on Nat to cart, not only to return the favour, but for all listeners to hear Nathan's story. A great takeaway would be to give, 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 especially in these challenging times where you may have a skill, an asset, or wealth, however you value it, that could greatly help someone or give them the inspiration they need to keep on grinding. Pay it forward. I love Nathan's approach of always being honest with yourself and your audience. As we both agree, this will always pay the best ROI for all you marketing nerds out there. I also like when Nathan talks about the lessons he's learned. These are parts of the business that everyone can relate to. And while it's important that we share the success of all businesses, I feel we need to see more vulnerability in our digital ecosystem, as the mistakes that are shared could give the listener the golden nugget they really need. Thanks for listening to my takeover on the Add to Cart podcast. Bushy will be back in his usual seat next episode. I'm Tom Hinser from Mr. Poolman. Happy swimming. To finish up, I have three resources for you. Firstly, if you're a first-time listener of Add to Cart and you want to stay up to date with new episodes, head over to addtocart.com.au and you can sign up for our weekly newsletter. We'll let you know every time a new episode drops as well as giving you my three takeaways from each episode and a link to the transcripts so you can know that this is an episode that you want to dive straight into. Secondly, if you want a weekly roundup of the best e-commerce case studies, tools, and research, sign up to the High Five Friday newsletter, which is delivered to inboxes at 8 a.m. every Friday morning. I read all the e-commerce news and send you the bits that I think you can take action from. Sign up at 12high12hig.com.au forward slash high five. And the last thing, if you are looking to explore your next e-commerce opportunity, head over to esuitetalent.com.au. We are a dedicated e-commerce talent agency connecting the best e-commerce talent with the fastest growing brands. 
check it out, sign up to the email and get in touch with me if you want to discuss your next move. Until next time, thanks for listening and keep those customers adding to cart.